This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. This week's Spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Jen. Hi, Lynn. How are you doing today? Doing good. A little bit tired, but otherwise good and ready for this conversation. Well, this is a conversation that a lot of people in our country are having right now. And it's uh, going back and forth in the media. And uh, one of the issues I think I've been facing with my patients and also recently on a a radio show called Forum here in the Bay Area in San Francisco was really questions about how to talk with your children and adolescents about the Supreme Court justice consideration of Mr. Kavanaugh and the allegations that have been brought forward by Dr. Blasey and another woman. And clearly our kids are always listening when it's matters related to sexuality. And many parents have questions about how to discuss this with their children. Should they discuss this with their children? How old do their children have to be to discuss it? So there's a lot of different things that I think we could talk about here and really hopefully help parents have those important conversations. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what we're all about is helping helping parents to have these conversations with their children. And I think what I observed is that a lot more parents are wanting to have these conversations, but they're not sure what to say. And I think they're afraid of saying too much and sort of overwhelming their children. And so being able to talk about, you know, what is age appropriate? How can you open these conversations? How do you make sure you aren't sort of overwhelming your child? And I think it really comes down to you have to address three parts. So talk about what is happening, how what is happening does happen, and what you can do about it and what's different for the kids now compared to the situation in the past. And I think as long as parents address those three things, you're you're pretty good. <laughs> That's good basic snapshot advice here, exactly. But to take it a step further with all of that, if we look at this Kavanaugh situation right now, and let's just call it uh, maybe the, the considerations around the Supreme Court, what's been brought up is that when he was a young man, both uh, apparently about 17 years old and then later 18 years old, he was involved in very explicit sexual aggressive activity with women and girls. So I think you know, we could say what these are. There's an alleged rape by Dr. Blasey, I think, to be clear about that. And uh, with the other, um, uh, Miss Ramirez, who came forward also, there's the question around sexual commentary about uh, oral sex that's quite explicit. So uh, definitely emotional abuse in that frame and maybe further. 
So we really haven't heard these stories yet, but we know kids are asking questions. And that's what I want to say, too, is one of the things that I get asked a lot is, do we use this terminology? And I just want to go ahead and say, yes, you do. And allow your kids to ask questions if they have questions about it. So if you say there was an attempted rape, you know, they can say, what's rape? And it's important that you be able to, in a relatively concise way, answer that question. Because if you don't use the terminology, it actually, one, makes the conversation much more awkward, but it now makes it seem like a, like a elephant in the room. I can't think of the word right now, but it, it makes it seem like it's not okay to talk about is what I'm trying to say. And so it's very important that you are direct about using this language. And I think another caveat with that is to be responsive to your child's questions. Yes. Do they understand what level are they actually taking this in at? And on our website, we're going to post two lists of tips for talking with children of different ages, teens and younger children. And we think those conversations should begin at the ages of four to six. I actually think even earlier now, as I spend more time around young kids, but yes, at very young ages, as soon as kids start thinking about colors, about shapes, about clothing they like to wear, as as soon as they start expressing their own preferences, I think it's a great time to start initiating conversations. I, I agree with you. Though as a grandmother, I don't know if I'm quite there with my grandson yet, who's about two and a half, but we are having a lot of conversations. So we're progressing and gender comes up early, you know, from that experience, you know, it's right there at the beginning. So I think that's something to bring up and to have uh, talks about. I don't think they're listening to the media, but I may be wrong. Right. They're taking things in, but I'm sure they're not thinking about the alleged rape happening. Some of the points that I think come up or brought up about the uh, recent situation is one about youth together involved in unhealthy Mm risk-taking. And there's alcohol involved in this. There's the point of view that the young men are, you know, it's talked about that they were drinking so much that they may not be able to remember the sexual activities. So that's a very important point, I think, with boys and girls to talk about alcohol use. Alcohol use for girls is often more intense than it is for boys because they're not as able to metabolize it. So there's a lot of issues, I think, that parents have to talk about. And uh, alcohol use alters the ability to assess risk, which is really important. Right. Alcohol, you know, it, it, it's, it limits your inhibitions. And because of that, I think it's really important to have conversations about what are some of the inherent beliefs that people carry around gender that they then play out when they are uninhibited. Because I think that plays a lot into how these sexual assaults happen is there are people who get drunk and they don't assault people and they don't believe it's ever okay to assault people. And then there are some people who have learned through our society, through the environments that they're in, that asserting power over somebody sexually and over another person's body is one of the ways that you express masculinity. So when you have somebody who has those beliefs and then they're ingesting alcohol, then they're going to enact these behaviors in a, in a different way. But the problem isn't just the enactment of the behavior. It's that they have these beliefs in the first place. 
And I think in talking with your teen about this, let's take the teen for this part of it. Right. So I think with younger kids, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, you begin to be talking about substance use and alcohol and how it affects sexual behavior. Yeah. But with a teenager, I think you can role play some of these situations. What about if you're at a party and you're intoxicated or your friends are? How do you handle these things? Have you thought about this? What would you do under these circumstances? Have you ever been pulled to do something you don't want to do? How would you handle that? Yeah. You know, and you mentioned also the issue of gender. I think this situation from the 80s pulls for very strict gender roles in terms of today's world. Yes. Girls will be girls, boys will be boys, and they and bear what that the means. Exactly. Girls don't bear girls bear the consequences and boys don't. And it is different. And gender is more open, more fluid today. There's other choices. And so I think talking about with our boys and girls about it, we raise these questions too. Yeah, and I want to highlight actually that it's not that gender itself is more fluid, it's that our understanding of it has expanded, right? Absolutely, Jennifer. And so I think that's an important thing to highlight too, because like gender and its expression has always been around, but there it was more policed back in the 80s. And because of that, there is the more rigidness that we've talked about that and the posturing, you know, where to be, quote unquote, a man, you had to behave in certain ways. And I think to bring up another point that we haven't yet addressed is, I guess you had looked up the statistics and, you know, group rape is actually much more common than I think people um, in society believe. Do you remember what those yeah. rates were? Yes. And I, I think uh, this was partly in preparation for forum in San Francisco, but uh, discovering really that adolescent group rape is much, it's 30% of all group rapes, which really says that adolescents are highly engaged in group sexual activity. And for parents out there, this is primarily boys engaged in this activity. And it's important to be aware of this, because if you're the parent of a teenage son or a daughter, uh, you really have to be alert to group activity what could go on, and have conversations with your son or daughter about these possibilities. And it's also in, it's in having the conversations that you prep your child for dealing with situations that you have not explicitly prepared for. Because you're not just talking about each situation, you're talking about the ideas that underlie things. So is this an appropriate way to treat a person in any situation, not just specifically? Like, yes, parents often will talk about, you know, when you're at a party, you know, watch your own cup or, you know, things like that. And that's important. But you also want to talk about power dynamics. You want to talk about how to deal with peer pressure. You want to talk about how people do feel pressured. And that's why I brought up the group rape. It's reminding me is because a lot of times it's the posturing of the masculine self and feeling that you have to be a man in front of your other male friends. And that in order to be seen as that, you need to do these certain power over moves particularly on a woman or girl. And for the parents out there, what this means is that a certain group of boys really develop their own sexual identity based on 
activities on girls' bodies. Right. And I think that's hard. You know, parents might have some idea about this, but there are other ways that boys can construct their sexual identity. And the fact that they would do it in an entitled or power over way is not that healthy. So this opens up a whole conversation about entitlement and power over that parents can have with boys about this and girls. I think the other thing too is you have to look at some of the generational differences because parents also need to be prepared to look at their own perspectives on these things and how it's affecting the way they're having the conversations with their children. And the 10 tips we post on our website really talk about the end with how parents role model behavior around these issues, gender and sexuality is really key. Yeah. So you may have this conversation and then act entirely differently in your primary relationships and it undoes a large part of it. Yeah. So it's important, I think, to really keep that in mind. You know, Jim, what you brought up really reminds me that uh, these Supreme Court choices, mm-hmm. uh, if we drop back to the 80s or early 90s with Clarence Thomas, yeah. and then this situation, both involved candidates that were in Jesuit Catholic schools. And I feel as if I can speak somewhat to that, having gone to a Catholic school myself. And it really had a very gender-restrictive perspective uh, that was put forward in the school that I was part of. And I think we see that in these private boys schools that each of these uh, Supreme Court justice candidates went to. Mm -hmm. And the role there often for the girl is that she's responsible for the sexual activity and bears the negative consequences, regardless of what's going on. She's responsible for keeping the boys in line. She's responsible for not being a slut. All of these things are really part of that Catholic tradition. They don't use the word slut. It's a Mary Magdalene figure. But uh, it's really a different view. And I think today, you know, it's especially important for parents with kids with Catholic backgrounds to get in there, talk about this, find out what kind of beliefs your child is, is thinking about. And it brings up the component of religion, which I think plays into a lot of this as well. Yes, absolutely. And that's where parents can take a look at their own beliefs and realize things have changed. And I think one of the big things with the struggle is, will it be different than it was in 91 with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas? Is it going to be different now? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the moms out there are listening and saying, I want it to be different. And a lot of dads, too, I think, want it to be different. I think a lot of people want it to be different. And I think being able to have these conversations and talk about the different components, because it is a very complex thing. There is the straightforward, you know, how is this going to affect his nomination or will it? But outside of that, it's really opening more of a nationwide dialogue. And I think that's really powerful because one of the big differences is, I think you saw it even with the Clinton and Monica Lewinsky situation, but kids are not as shielded from this information as much anymore. And so if you want them to consider your ideas, you really need to be the one putting them forward. And that helps them have a frame in which to build their own ideas. And I think I really want to highlight that is that 
you're not trying to like dogmatically put your ideas on your child. You're really helping them cultivate their own. That is so important. And I'd like to share some personal experience because I had children and was talking with them about these matters, both in the Clinton situation and in Anita Hill. And my daughter was about 18 when the Clinton situation, uh, the papers came online. She and I actually read through the documents together online. She was much more the avatar of the internet and she did all the, you know, the lining up and that part of it. But we had the conversations about it. We shared our own dismay, you know, about that particular situation, and our own thoughts about how that could have been handled differently. So I think that's a way to do it is examine the facts together, kind of like partners with an older teenager, and you're working together to each develop your ideas. With younger kids, I think they too have cell phones and cell phones are popping these things up too. And they will ask those words, well, what's rape? And why were these two guys together in the room with her? That's one of the questions I was asked by a younger child. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I think parents of younger kids are going to be dealing with too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of where I was going with that, too, is like, even if you don't think your child is being exposed to it, most likely they are. And so you want to be part of that conversation. And you want to be able to help them make sense of so much information coming in. And the other thing I wanted to point out is a big part of these allegations and how they go is there's also a big sort of disinformation campaign for the person being accused. And they're trying to discredit the person who is making the allegations. And you need to help your child understand and make sense of of that. Because otherwise, they're just getting this information, but they may not necessarily know how to filter it. And as an adult, you can help with that. And a concrete example of that is many of our kids face bullying online and slut shaming online. Mm -hmm. And they look for ways to how to deal with that. And I think that opens up a conversation with your kid about how to deal with these online sexual tactics. And when they're false, how do you handle those? What do you do? What can you do? You know, and what's available in terms of conversation and then furthermore action in this area? Yeah, and to get even more concrete, I know I've worked with some of the kids that I I um, meet with, and we we talk about how it frustrates them that the first question that's often asked is something along the lines of like, what were they wearing or what were they doing there? And you can really just take that little bit and break it apart and go, this is so problematic for all these reasons. And let's talk about all these reasons. Like, it's really just a jumping point to talk about all these different avenues and realizing it's not a one-time conversation thing. There's so much going on. I mean, our list here is like, here are the 15 things we need to talk about around this issue. And each one could really be its own episode because as you understand more, then you can dig deeper and deeper and it really goes very deep. But that's getting back to kind of what's developmentally appropriate. It's often helpful to ask your child what they know first. And that way you get a sense of what are they hearing? You know, where are they hearing it from? What is it they're understanding about what they're hearing? So I can match that. Otherwise, you could, you know, not say enough, or you might also say too much. And that can that can actually be an issue. 
One of the other things that's going to happen in the next two days is we are going to have those hearings in yep. this country, and they're going to be out there. And we're now on Tuesday morning in the on the West Coast, but these are coming. And I think thinking about this and what kind of conversations parents will have at the dinner table or in the car with their kids, or mm-hmm. even when their kids are watching this and they're watching it together, you know, and that's very important, I think, to pay a, attention to what you're talking about. Where is your child with this? What are their questions? You know, what would they do if they were in any of these situations? You know, has something like this happened to them? You know, because I think things like this in our world, kids have sexual lives. Yeah. And things like this are happening. And they need help navigating it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we're not going to share with our audience today all 15 of the things, but we've gotten through, I think, a lot of them here. I think just the basic points to remember to have the conversations, to remember that your own behavior makes a difference as parents, to really pay attention to the gender issues involved with this, and remember that gender has changed in terms of the way we see it over the last 30 years. It's more open. There are more choices. And this is about a period where there was very restrictive gender roles really being put forward. So I think all of these things are important. I think what I would add to that, or maybe it's just highlighting it, is really talking about why these things are so important. Because the gender roles were different today, and they are different because people spoke up and thought about these things and had conversations and decided new laws and pushed these things forward. Because I think it's important for your kid to understand that it's not enough to just like know about this stuff. You also have to take action. And whether that action be calling out your friend who's saying a sexist comment, or, you know, stopping somebody from committing rape, you know, it, Obviously, there's all kinds of situations, but knowing that you have agency there, and even if you feel like you're a younger person, you're important and you can do something and you are doing something by even just speaking up about it. You are. And it's very important that our country is listening to all of these people speak up. Yes. That women now feel really empowered to talk about their stories and not only women, but men too. This is really an important area. Because that's what's going to make things different. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jen. I hope this is helpful. And we'd like to hear from our listeners about this. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about it.